I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up, and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. Those are the first seven verses of Psalm 30, which along with Psalm 32 are the psalms appointed for today, Saturday, January the 22nd, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. I appreciate it very much. We're continuing to look at the Messianic prophecies of Isaiah today in the 46th chapter, the first 13 verses, in the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 5, verses 1 to 20, and then in the book of um, the the epistle to the Ephesians, chapter 6, um, verses 10 to 24. We're going to see today what what we're going to look at. This is just a quick heads up. Um, I've been doing, continuing a lot of this study in, in um, the works of, of Michael Heiser, who um, has really um, had a profound influence on the way that I read Scripture, and only in this way that I'm attentive <laughs> to something I was previously in, inattentive to. And so it's been a helpful thing. Uh, he talks a lot about spiritual geography, and that is is that the um, sons of God have divided up the earth. This goes back to the Tower of Babel. They divided up the earth, and, and they were given authority over areas uh, of the world. And so there's this assignment that has been given, and some of these are... Um, have become demonic. They've become fallen and and in uh, opposition to God, and that's what you see in in so much of the Old Testament. If you start noticing these things and paying attention to it, for instance, today the first um, five words are "Bell bows down, Nebo stoops." You got it. All right. You know where we are because. Unless you look it up, you probably don't. They are the Jupiter and Mercury, which are the, the Roman gods. Those They are the Jupiter and Mercury of the Babylonian pantheon. So the Babylonians had multiple gods, and these are two of them that's being addressed here. And Because the Babylonians, he, remember, they're going to come back from Babylon. Uh, the people are where they had gone into exile because the Lord had given uh, Nebuchadnezzar the authority to do that. So he, they had to get permission, sort of. I mean, he had to give permission for them to have any, for Nebuchadnezzar to come and conquer his people. He brought him there. And so these are their gods. And it's interesting. They're idols on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop. They bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. He's speaking of these gods of the Babylonians. Our God, Yahweh, is speaking of the Babylonian gods in this way. It's a very strange thing. If you, and if you just read through these uh, passages without thinking about what's actually being said here and what's being done, what he's saying is, is that, that in order to release his people from captivity, not only do, does um, 
Nebuchadnezzar's son need to fall in the midst of all this, but at the same time, the gods of the Babylonians have to be brought low as well. <clears throat> Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, you have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear. I will carry, and I will save. In other words, nothing is too heavy a burden for me. I've carried you from the beginning. Their gods are not able to carry them and you. No, I'm breaking you loose from them, and I'm the one who will always carry you because I'm the one who has always carried you. And and to prove that that's not too heavy a burden, then we're going to bring in the nations. We're going to bring the Gentiles into the fold. So then he goes on to say, to whom will you liken me and make me equal? And compare me that we may be alike. Again, he's saying, hey, anybody that wants to step up here and challenge me in any shape, form, or fashion, bring it, because I'm the one who created everything. So obviously, the the, the argument would be that, that clearly the one who makes everything, including the gods, quote-unquote on the gods, um, is, is stronger than, greater than. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me with we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, hire a goldsmith, and he, he makes it into a god, then they fall down and worship? Something you paid for and some guy made? I made everything. They lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. In other words, its influence is, is quite limited, right? I mean, this thing can be moved around by other people. <clears throat> If one cries to it, it doesn't answer or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I'm God and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. In other words, I know how it's going to end. The story's going to end right from the start. I know how it's going to end. And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I've spoken, and I'll bring it to pass. I've purposed, and I'll do it. Any way I choose to do it, and anything that I choose to do, will be coming to pass. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It's not far off, and my salvation will not delay. I will put my salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. It's a declaration to both the Babylonians and to the Israelites who are in Babylon that I have a plan, and I have a purpose, and nothing can thwart that purpose. Not the gods of the Babylonians, and they have reason to believe that their gods were mighty because they had conquered so much of the earth, and they had conquered Yahweh's people. But the 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 actuality is the only way that they were able to conquer them was because God was angry for them, and he was passing judgment on them for a season of time. But ultimately, he would bring them back, and he had his ways of doing that. He works through normal means to do that. He, he then allows the Persians to conquer the Babylonians, because the Persian, and then the Persians had a different way of dealing with conquered peoples, and so they allowed them to come back to the land, to have their temple, to have their religion, to have their way of life. But, well, you'll be paying, you know, a fee <laughs> for that freedom, but hey, you got freedom, right? But God's covenant is everlasting. God is their king, and it is his land. And so he will accomplish things the way that he wants to accomplish them, but the reality is that he has the power to do it, and not only that, he knows in advance it's going to happen, and so he declares it in advance 
to the prophets so that they will know two things, right? One is that, that this is the plan and purpose of their God, and two, that these prophets are vindicated and validated because he told them in advance and then brings it to pass. In the gospel lesson today, we see Jesus going over to the other side of the sea. Remember we yesterday we had had the storm uh, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat immediately, there met, because it's Mark, there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. I mean, we have a mess on our hands already here from a Jewish perspective, because he's, he's gone to this country of the Gerasenes, which they, which they considered to be a place where the gates of hell were. And so he, he is there. He's already gone to a bad place. Then there's an unclean guy with an unclean spirit coming from the tombs. So there's dead people around, a guy with an unclean spirit, and also the gates of hell. He got all this horrible stuff. So this man lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. And no one had the strength to subdue him. I'll bet, nor the will. <laughs> you, can, you could, no, uh-uh, I'm not going out there. No, 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 no. I'm not going over there at all. I'm not, certainly not going to try and subdue that guy. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. I mean, you think you got problems with neighbors. <clears throat> and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. That's a posture, right? That's a particular kind of posture to fall to your knees. Uh huh. It's worship, which is only here the recognition of, of a superior power. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. So he, he adjures him by God? His appeal is to God. What God is he talking about? Because he's already recognized that Jesus is the Son of the Most High God. So I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Was that a prayer? What in the world did he mean by adjuring by God? For he was saying to him, he, Jesus, was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. It, it's odd. The, um, what do you call it? The, 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 it, it, sometimes it'll say he, sometimes it'll say they, sometimes it'll say we. It, it's, it's sort of, it goes back to the pronoun issue we have today. What are your pronouns? Well, this one apparently sometimes is he, sometimes is we, sometimes is they. It's a confused legion because there's so many of them. And we're getting ready to find out in a second how many there are. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. And so a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. Permission. So he acquiesced to their request. But he had to acquiesce to their request. They couldn't just go into the pigs. Jesus had to allow it. And so he gave them permission to do that. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. So you're talking about that this herd, the entire herd, is filled with demons. 
and then the demons kill the pigs. And so, like I said, if you've already talking about ritual impurity to be in the land of the Gerasenes, place where they believe the gates of hell were, also among the tombs, a guy with an unclean spirit. And in, in um, Matthew's gospel, I think it is that they're all he's, he's cutting themselves with stones, and so there's blood, there's all this other mess, and now there's pigs. It's a wonderful thing from a Jewish religious perspective that is the biggest mess you're ever going to see right there as far as ritual impurity is concerned and then the herdsmen who were looking after the pigs fled and told it in the city and the country everywhere they went and people came to see what it was that had happened and they came to jesus and they saw the demon possessed man the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid they had learned to live with this guy because, well, that, that stuff's all out there. And now they know who this guy is, and they know that he's here now sitting in his right mind. What sort of power has come into our land that's sufficient to deal with that and to heal that guy? And those who had seen it described it to them and what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. We've learned to live with these demonic presences over here. We call them gods. We've learned to live with that. You scare us to death because you're able to deal with these things. And those things came and bowed down before you and begged you. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. I don't doubt it. Why would you want to stay there in that place? You know, this, this guy has just been delivered from a lifetime of hell, and now he wants to go with Jesus. But Jesus did not permit him. He gave permission to the, to the spirits to go into the pigs, but he didn't give the man permission to follow him. He says, you go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. I bet they did. It, it, it's an extraordinary thing. What Jesus is saying is the kingdom of God has come here to this place, and there's been a demonstration of the kingdom's power. What do you make of that? And so they're marveling at this guy, but Jesus left him behind as a witness. And it, there's a, there was a book called, I think it was called Cardus, that I read quite a few years ago now that was good, and it purported to be it's sort of a fictionalized account of that guy's life after this happened. It was a fascinating book. I wonder what in the world I did with it, because I don't remember having seen it lately. Um, but it was a fascinating book as far as it went to, to think about what might have happened with this guy and the rest of his life. In the Ephesians passage, we're going to still stay with spiritual warfare. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. This is not so you can, you can argue with people all day long. No, it's so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. And we're told in other places that he has, he has schemes and devised schemes, he's looking for whom he may devour. And so he, so you're putting on this spiritual armor that you can withstand the schemes of the devil. And then he goes on to explain what he means, and he's very clear. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I think I overlooked that for a long time about the the fullness of what Paul has said. Let me read that for you again. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Okay, wait, no, I know that. And I think I spent most of my ministry time in Asheville wrestling against flesh and blood. He said, but we wrestle against rulers, authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I'm not sure I signed up for that wrestling match. But Paul says, you're in it. You are in it. When you put on Christ, you put on, you put yourself into the battle whether you knew it or not. And Paul, this is very serious language that he uses. And remember, he used it again. He had used it back in Ephesians 3, that part of the church is to proclaim the mystery of God, the mystery of the gospel, to rulers in the heavenly places. And Paul says here, here's the, the result of proclamation of that to those rulers is spiritual warfare. And you need to put on the whole armor of God. You need to have spiritual war weapons defensive weapons primarily, in order to fight this. Take, therefore, the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore. So once you've established yourself in that armor, stand. Therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In other words, I'm I'm here peaceably. And I'm here standing in that peace, that shalom that comes through the gospel, that comes through the knowledge that I don't stand here alone. I stand here with Jesus, and I stand here with the heavenly armies. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. In other words, I'm here defensively. I'm here, to, I'm here to fight, but I'm here to withstand the schemes that you have devised against me. I don't have to come up with an offensive strategy for this. I just have to stand here, but, I, but I'm well equipped to stand here. <clears throat> Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit which is not the same as just praying, by the way. That's, there's more than that. It's, it's remaining in the spirit of prayer always and praying in the spirit with all pa- prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in change, chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul's an ambassador in chains because he's a prisoner in Rome. And so he, he says, I'm still, I'm here not as a prisoner, but as an ambassador. So in other words, they didn't put me here, God did. I happen to, have, I happen to be in chains, probably metaphorically most of the time, not in reality. But, but I'm an ambassador here. I have a job and a role, even as a prisoner. So that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, 
<clears throat> will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So we're called and we're, we're in a battle, but that battle is spiritual battle. So don't waste all your time fighting with people. Remember that, that the battle that you're actually fighting is a spiritual battle with spiritual powers, and you need spiritual weaponry with which to fight that battle. So don't depend on your own abilities and all that kind of stuff. No, fight the right battle. That's the beginning point, fighting the right battle, knowing what battle you're actually in, depersonalizing it from the person who is in front of you, it's what Jesus did when when Peter tempted him, and the way that I'll say that he tempted him is to, to say, no, 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 not the cross. You can have a kingdom without a cross. And that's what Satan had offered him. So what does Jesus say when Peter says that? Get behind me, Satan. He knows that it's Satan working through Peter to say this thing. And we need to be careful in our own right that we're not offering people the same kind of things. We need to be make sure that we're, we're not watering down the gospel in such a way that we're actually no longer preaching the real gospel. We're pre- preaching a satanic gospel. We can be used for the wrong thing. Our love can be turned into a weapon against us, in fact. We see that a lot lately. Um, with people saying, well, if you really love somebody, if you really love that person, then, then you would just accept them as they are, for instance. And, and, and I do accept people for who they are, but it doesn't mean that it's right. It doesn't mean that God accepts their certain, us in our sins, let's say. And so it, it's, we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful that we're fighting the right battle and that we're fighting with the right weapons and that we remove the personal aspect from it and, and that we don't hate the person that we love, even those who are enemies, even the ones we're fighting with on the surface, we need to love that person. We need to continue to love, but we, but we can only do that if we remember what the actual battle is.